Ah, I see you're tuning into punk theology. I don't know, if you're a priest, pastor, theology professor, they may frown upon that. Your atheist college professor? Oh, you may not like that. It may cost you another bad grade on that exam. Very serious. Welcome, this is episode 22. So what are we talking about? So we're gonna kick this off, right? The topic today, I'm reminded of song lyrics, and I can't remember the song, but there's a song that talks about in the chorus or something, you're just someone I used to know. That might have been a romantic relationship. I don't know. But what is it about the sustainability of not just romantic relationships, but friendships, right? Just people knowing each other, hanging out, having some kind of connection in modern times. Or should I say postmodern times? I don't know. That word's kind of goofy to me. Like oxymoronic, maybe. I don't know. Like punk theology. The strength in vulnerability. (laughs) It sounds oxymoronic. It's really not. And maybe that's what we're getting into today. Kicking it off with a little green day on the podcast. That is Revolution Radio. The newest Green Day album, which is actually pretty good. I do like that one. It's uh, for their new stuff, man. That's it's worth a listen. It's worth a download. That whole album is on Spotify, by the way, and there is a Spotify playlist for this podcast. If you want to look it up, search on Spotify Punk Theology. You'll find it there. Follow Green Day. If you follow these bands, there's a little button uh, on the band. You go to Artist and then Follow, and they'll tell you like when these bands are on tour, when they're coming to your town, which I think is a really cool feature that Spotify does. Uh, I don't get paid to say that, so <laughs> throwing that out there. Because the radio, they don't do that for everybody, right? Like It's, it's got to be their network, right? Their artist that they're touting. That's in the record company and all the stuff. Anyway, I just went off on a tangent there. Punk Theology is the name of this here podcast. Uh, Check us out on Facebook, Punk Theology Pub. Search that, Punk Theology Pub, on Facebook. Join the group. Join the conversation. We'd love to have you. At Punk Theology Pub. Pod on Twitter. There is a Snapchat as well. If you Snapchat, search Punk Theology, you'll find us on all of the social media stuff. Uh, SoundCloud. Hey, uh, if you listen on SoundCloud, that's where everything comes out first, and then we iTunes, everything else comes out. Stitcher seems to be like a week behind. I'm not sure why, but Stitcher Radio, if you listen on Stitcher, you're probably hearing this uh, a few weeks. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. It's a work in progress, all right? Hey, there's also some blog stuff up. 
And uh, we talk about that on the next episode, but we're doing some punk scratch, we call it, right? Scrawling on the internet in the punk rock genre of writing, if there is such a thing. I don't know. Uh, We're throwing it out there. So we're talking about friendship today. Friendship like real friendship, you know, uh, and there's like a epidemic today and social psychologists are talking about it. Uh, again, here in the United States, our last election is a prime example of how we're divided and right. We would rather just throw rocks at the other guy's tribe. Like that's professional politics in this country, seriously, but it's not just politics. Like there was a study done by an insurance company talking about how much of us actually know our neighbors, like know the first and last name of our neighbors. And it's, it's not that many actually, like most of us don't really even know our neighbors. So how are we at having friendships? Are we very tribal? And when our lives come crashing down, or even when we are shown to be a hypocrite, which if you're honest, we all, we're all kind of hypocrites, right? Like, be honest. There's sometimes like parenting. Maybe you have to wait until you have kids. Like you'll hit that point in your life where you become your dad, right? I'll never do that. And then you do that. And then you're like, oh my God, I'm a hypocrite. So I think it's, I think you're more honest if you say, you know, admit you're a hypocrite or be destined to be classified as one. All right. That's just, that's just my take. And who am I? I'm going to shut up now. Let's get into it. Episode 22. If I fall back down, will you be my friend? Here we go. If I fall back down, you're going to help me back up again. If I fall back down, you're going to be my friend. If I fall back down, you're going to help me back up again. If I fall back down... You're gonna be my friend. Let's take this and learn a lesson. You're gonna make it through the darkest night. Some people portray more than class reason. Wanna make everything alright? It's Segway. John is here. John, that's the yeah, whole episode. I just did. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know. Is that? Uh, yeah, it's good. Punk <laughs> theology. <Ugh. Yes>. Ah. <laughs> this is episode. We're not sure. We're, we're a few episodes behind. But John Bissell's here from uh, episode 20, sitting in for Chuck, Steve, Arthur. We're, there's four Michigan. of us here tonight. Is Misha going to join us tonight? Uh, probably not. Probably not. Okay. So uh, it's just the four of us, and we're talking about uh, friendship, relationships, what the boundaries uh, of friendship? The boundaries of, of what makes a, a friend a true friend, because you know a, a true friend will kick you in the nuts once in a while. I don't know. See, there's a there's a whole no. lot of ways you can no. go with kick it. Kick you in the ass, maybe, but <laughs> yeah, not in the nuts. nuts. A true not. friend does not kick you in the nuts. Well, I saw this yeah. joke the other day. It was uh, you know <laughs> getting good. getting kicked in the nuts hurts worse than uh, having a baby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I've because I've met women that wanted to have more kids, but I've never met a man who wanted to get kicked in the nuts more than once. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> so John Bissell's here. Uh, I wanted to get into your story a little bit to, to kind of introduce you. So you and Derek work together. You're an engineer. 
I'm not an engineer, but you're not I'm an engineer. confused for one. Yeah. <laughs> He's got an engineer's brain. He He's just... got an engineer's brain. So what, what, is, what I, you, I've been what told I'm a really good engineer by some engineers who thought I was an engineer. <laughs> there you go. And I have to confess, I'm not. So are you? Uh, what, what do you do? Um, officially, I'm... Uh, what do I do? Do we really identify ourselves by our professions? Unfortunately, yes. unfortunately, we do. Yeah, <laughs> Western men. That's, that's Western the first men. question that comes up. And women. The ladies are listening. Western. They're very interested. Wait, John. That, wasn't that a song in the eighties? Western men. Yeah, probably. Probably. <laughs> anyway, it should have been. If it wasn't, we'll go. We need to go back and write. Right, it. right, right. <laughs> okay. So uh, I have been a land use planner. People call land use planners city planners or urban planners. Except I've done rural planning too, so I don't know. Anyway, a planner since uh, eighty-seven. Oh, so some, so con- some like consulting. Of time. You're hired. A yeah, I, yeah I worked for city government. I worked for county government. I've been consulting for. 20 years now after I after I left government I have run companies I was a principal in an engineering company for several years and um, uh, so done the business side of it mm-hmm. um, you married kids I am married I have three kids who are all grown up and two of them still live in my house um, <laughs> how old are you? Anyway, how old am I rage. <laughs> what, no, I, I could I could say how old I am. I was just wondering what people thought sitting in this room. Um, um, Derek was the first person I hired who was um, a college graduate who was younger than my relationship with my wife. Wow, you <laughs> see that? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Did you grow up around here, Pacific Northwest no, guy? I or? grew up in. Um, uh, kind of the middle part of California. Okay. In the Sacramento Valley. I also am a bicycle racer mm-hmm. and a coach and um, a personal trainer. And I like those jobs way better than my regular job. I mean, really, as a as a land development consultant, mostly what I do is I help rich people get richer. That's mostly <laughs> what I do. You know, right. um, I tell people when they ask me my job, I say, yeah, my job is to help rich people get richer. I say, oh, you're a banker. Uh, <laughs> nope. Different kind of investment strategy. But in order to do land development, you have to have a lot of money. you got to be able to put a million dollars down on the table. You put a million dollars down on the table, it's my job to make it into two million. Uh, you know, nice. basically. Yeah. And um, uh, so... Um, when I work as a personal trainer and as a coach, I help regular people achieve goals and sometimes completely transform their lives. And that's way more fun. Yeah, that's relational. You yeah. feel that. That's yeah. uh, growing from the inside out. So you grew up uh, Christian, Catholic? Yeah, kind of. I uh, uh, grew up in a, in an ex-Catholic uh, household, recovering Catholic household, and then went back into Catholicism when I got married, and then left Catholicism. Nice, yeah, and and flirted with um, with Presbyterianism a little bit. All right, and now you identify as an atheist, or I identify as I don't know. There you go. You know, I mean, uh, I, I I am a rational pragmatist. Uh, I have a lot of trouble believing that there is some guy up there who's uh, solving my problems for me. He's right. making a uh, list. <laughs> yeah, God as Santa Claus. That's a whole. That's a whole show right there. We got to do that one one of these days. Um, yeah. Uh, so um, anyway, 
that's that's kind of who I am. That's I, the Cliff Notes, right? That's yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Well, thanks for being here, John. I appreciate it, man. I, I heard episode twenty, and I'm like, wow, this guy's cool. He thinks outside the box. Let's let's uh, let's learn more about John. I'm glad you're here, man. Okay, thanks. You bet. comment on that, that <laughs> blog post I made where the guy was saying that the, the Nashville statement was uh, it was sort of like it was a loving response to an immoral culture. Like mm. it was about love. And I'm like What was? The, the Nashville statement. Okay. So the statement that came out from these evangelicals in Nashville that basically condemned gay marriage or gay relationships. Um, what does this have to do with friendship? Because he said he said that, you know, it's sort of like that thing where, oh, if you really love your friend, you will talk harshly to them. So this was... Harsh truth. This was, yeah, this was the harsh truth that we just didn't want to hear. And my response was, I think people can believe in God or believe in loving people, with air quotes, for both really destructive and really life-giving reasons. But I think part of growing up, maybe, and becoming conscious in the world, is realizing the difference between the two. Like, you can have an abusive friendship or relationship with someone, and, and they could be telling you things like, uh, and we could go a, a bunch of different Telling you things divorce. that they genuinely think are true. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, just because your friend tells you something that they really feel like is true doesn't mean yeah. that it means a fucking thing. Like you were like, sharing That's just about. their opinion. And even though they feel their opinion very strongly, it's still just their It's just opinion. their opinion. Well, you know what? The reason that you're not having babies is because you must have sinned, right? <laughs> like that's one of those Catholic things that someone could say. And they could be genuine. I think it's just one of those... This is their, it was based out of their the birth of their belief system, right? But it's it's also really hurtful. Right. So so you know people talk about if if what you're saying to somebody is really hurtful to them, if maybe it's really necessary for the, this person, this friend of yours, to change their lives, to go a different direction, and maybe on occasion somebody needs to hear the really hard truth. You know, stop shooting yeah. up heroin. Yeah. Um, yeah. That'd be a really good idea. Yeah. But. But if... Maybe drinking a fifth of Jack Daniels every night is not such a good idea. Just limit one a week. <laughs> and, and so maybe, maybe every now and then you have to do the intervention. Mm-hmm. But if, if you've got a friend who's done something that was somehow self-destructive and they're really hurting, they're really, really hurting, and you say, I told you so. Even if you use different words to say, I told you so. That is not going to help them get to a better place. Even if you're right. And if it's completely subjective, like like, um, your example, you know, you... 
you're not getting pregnant is because you sinned, um, you had sex before you got married, or you took birth control, and the Pope says that God told him that having birth control is bad, um, so therefore it's all your fault, and God is punishing you. I mean, keep that thought to yourself for at least a little bit. You know, this person is suffering. Is is that is that? Do you? Okay. In that example, uh-huh. as your as the really good friend, and you're telling this person, it's your fault because you sinned. What is your goal? Is your goal to bring them closer to God? Because I can tell you, that's going to make them say, "Okay, fine, then I'm done with God." If God punishes me for being a human being, God made me a human being. I did a human being thing, and now God is going to punish me and hurt me that way. Yeah. Screw that. I'm done with God. Is it so? Or God doesn't move, and they have to take all that trauma into themselves. Is the other yeah. is yeah. probably more common problem in that they 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 can't stop believing in God, at least not in that moment. Mm-hmm. And they so don't. God is an absolute. So all of that. That damage that you did has to be absorbed by them because right. you're not going to yeah. change the God construct because right. it's not God that's an absolute. Those, those are the God two options. Right. Those are the yeah. two we just options. got really deep, really quick. So, <laughs> but those are the two options. That's true. Right? Yeah. And those are the two options. Either I say screw God, I'm done with religion, or I am devastatingly and irreparably harmed. How did? What you say as a friend, and I'm making air quotes here, uh, tough love, help that person. And as a friend, isn't that what you want to do? Even with tough love, tough love, yeah, stop shooting up heroin or have an intervention, right? Uh Some kind of tough love. You want to help the person be better. And neither of those outcomes is going to get to the direction of being better. Well, I I think think of it like more with the stakes aren't maybe as high, but more relationally. Although you're describing a relational conversation, but like, you know, maybe actually real conversations or tensions I've had. Well, it it boils down to that question is, as a friend, what can't I not say to you to use a double negative? Like, what's not okay for me to say? So Derek's one of my closest friends. He decides to quit his engineering job to pursue his lifelong dream of... uh, Playing guitar. Underwater ballet or something. It's like, you <laughs> okay, know, watch. Derek... Uh, See, it's already like, successful. Like, like, That's right. Like, dude, like, say, pay. You know, it's like, Derek's probably going to do what he's going to do. Uh-huh. He's probably already made his decision. So it's like, Derek, you know, you got a family to feed. Is that a good idea? I mean, yeah. I'm sure that's an okay conversation. So, yeah, I think... So this came out of a conversation, a conversation we were having, yeah. online. And, and that... And the reason we picked it tonight is because it's an incredibly nuanced yeah, topic. Black and white. There's no real good rules on how to go about doing this. Right. Except, Except empathy. Right. Except so empathy, empathy yes, yes, must be there. But in terms of like, like there's there's almost no way to really tell how that person's going to interpret what you're saying. If you're if you're if this is something that's really identity foundational for them, and you're bumping that a little bit. Um, and and the the stakes are pretty hard that high yeah. that that yeah. relationship could functionally end. So where does your I won't even throw out throw out the idea of responsibility, but where does your love interact with someone who like for me I you know recently last couple months been a couple of situations where people have told me some plans that they have moving forward, uh, and really from my perspective is like that's based on a lot of that's a big gamble mm. like that's. 
Like the rewards from that action are not high and the risks are enormous. And have you and and just getting that feeling inside of me like you have not sat down and done a proper risk reward analysis on this. And how do I do I say anything? Yeah. So I, so I have to gauge that relationship too. Like, like if this is just acquaintance, I just probably just gotta let that go because I just don't have the authority. But but where? So so one, where does that relationship get to the point where I have the capacity to step in? And then also like like how do I even seek that conversation? And where you know where do I even take that? And 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 again, and then also keeping in mind that I have to have an extreme amount of humility because I just may not understand the whole right. situation. They may just—they may genuinely be more aware of the variables than I am, and I'm from a distance thinking, "Oh man, you're just living in a fantasy world." But then, as I get closer to their perspective, realizing, "Oh, actually, this makes more yeah, sense." Yeah. So, I I was gonna... a couple more examples, just real quick, like you know, real-world examples I've encountered. Like uh, you know, someone will say, "Hey, you know, bring uh, your 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 kid over. You know, we have a play day to be fun." Well, you know, how do you say? Well, my kid doesn't really like playing with your kid, and I really don't like my kid playing with your kid because your kid's an asshole. You know, do you dance around that? Do you just come out and say it? Or or yeah. maybe, um, you know, hey, I uh, met this lovely woman. You know, uh, we really had a good time hanging out with you guys the other night. We should do it again. Yeah, I don't know. Like, my wife didn't really click with your lady friend. I don't yeah. know if that's going to work. Do you, you can't yeah, tell a friend. My wife's kind of dreading it. Like, <laughs> right. The idea of hanging out with you again. It, it, yeah. You because... can't quite say that. Or, or can you? Because, because that was the other question that I posed to Derek. <laughs> is, is I would like to say, I really would like to say, as, as you being my friend... Nothing's off the table. You can There's be honest with me. It takes time to get to but that is, place. Is that true? Is that really true? Do, right. do you really yeah. want to know? You really want to know? Is that right. true? I understand that you think that you want to know. Right. That's a fun idea. That's an attractive idea. If you and I are so There's close, no limits. There's right. no boundaries. Are like, okay, let me... I will just... Drop this on the table and see it. Oh, that was off the table. Okay, it yeah. turns out I was wrong. But that's and, kind of developing good friendships. See, like I know you two guys long enough to say that you know we both had disagreements and stuff like that, and our relationships never survived that. But like I don't know John as much, so John and I couldn't have the same conversations about the same things because I don't know John. John Bissell. John Bissell. Yes. So so it's it's like that. Too. Yeah, yeah. Like you. You, re- I respect you, not because you're my spiritual authority. Like, no, no, you know, no. In some church paradigm, like respect your spiritual my, authority. I've been my told that. Accountability partner. You're yeah, my you're my accountability partner. Exactly. Oh. You're my sponsor. Derek, I got your Why email you history last. Your internet That's history was used in. Uh, <laughs> in anyway, go, go ahead. So we talked about that we need empathy, but you just hit upon two other things. Can you hold that thought for yeah. just a second? Yeah, I want to. Uh, I want to pause in just a second. Okay, so vulnerability and empathy. Yeah, so you were, you were talking about empathy is important, but then then you, you were talking about that uh, you could trust Derek and 
the other John that's not me. And um, yeah, the other and, John. <laughs> and because the because you know them really really yeah. well. But you know we've just met and exactly. we we've, we've interchanged a little bit on uh, Facebook. But you don't really know me, right? right? So so. I could have the same or better wisdom than either of these two bozos, right? Yeah. Mm. Easy, no problem. Uh-huh. But you don't trust me. Exactly. We because, have to walk into a, a realm of trust, and that usually takes time. And and because you don't trust me, you can't be vulnerable. Right. You can't let yourself open that up and take in what I have to say. Right. In the same way you would with somebody who you've been vulnerable with yeah. before, yeah, and they but didn't reject me. Or relational me. capital, but, but yeah. interestingly, yeah, yeah, people have awesome. developed very, very deep relationships really, really quickly when they're in situations that require instant trust and vulnerability. And people, who, people, crisis. people who are crisis situations. Yeah. People, people who go through a, a, a firefight in a, in a in a battle together. People who There's actually go through a really interesting college study. That, that found so they basically took people that were single and put them together in a really intimate environment and had them share intimate details with each other for three hours mm-hmm. like as deep as they could get mm-hmm. and like a huge percentage of the people that who had been interviewed beforehand and had kind of seen each other had no attraction to each other whatsoever mm-hmm. after three hours lots of them had deep attraction and actually a couple of them ended up getting married simply right. because they were forced to be with this person and just be vulnerable. Sounds like Neil Strauss. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. Strauss's books. So yeah. there's a there's a TED that. talk that by somebody who I don't remember who she is. She's a professor of sociology someplace, and um, she's written a book about vulnerability and um, and then has done a TED talk about that. And um, we as human beings are resistance to allowing ourselves to become vulnerable. It's a survival tactic. But, yes, yeah. but the reality is that most of the time when we allow ourselves to become vulnerable, we end up with better outcomes. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. so, anyway, that's... that's Except for the times we don't, and we remember those forever. Yeah. For, and don't ever do that. Right. Yeah. And, that's, and that yeah. happens a lot in spiritual abuse. And I could... That was one of my Mars Hill stories. It was I went to a counselor who told me that I was bucking authority constantly and that I didn't trust people. And you just have to trust your spiritual authority that God put above you, Russ. A counselor told you this? At Mars Hill, yeah. Oh, well, not a counselor then. So. <laughs> exactly. Some, <laughs> some asshole who threw the word counselor out. That's right. Well, because, honestly, like, I'm because asking, he'd been, like in all sincerity, like it wasn't a mental health practitioner. No, it wasn't. Okay. You're right. Uh, absolutely. You could be a counselor without being a mental health well, practitioner. Well, true, but you know, yeah, you know I'm getting at that. There's a lot of work. It's more of a pastoral thing. schools. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and this cat told me to, you know, basically told my wife and I to shut up about talking about our vulnerabilities. <laughs> and we should just discuss that with the counselor because this is a place for... Just you know, and I'm gonna, and maybe that's true. Like, maybe we were going too deep, too quick with some people, but we were also told by the same council that we should share this stuff in in community group. And when it wasn't, you know, when it wasn't taken well, when it made people uncomfortable, it was like, hey, just shut up about that because we're going to talk about surfacey Bible like, study shit. I was like your behind the counter analogy. Yeah, that was helpful. Yeah. So the behind the counter analogy is 
it, it was actually a pastor that came up with this. It's an interesting analogy. He said, "I gave you credit. You to, no, <laughs> that's one. Good. You could just claim that." So, yeah, I've tried to dress it up to be more of a ship analogy because I kind of like that better because it's even more vulnerable. You let someone on your ship, they're going to be on the, the upper deck. That's even a little more vulnerable than walking into a mercantile exchange. So this is what he said. His grandpa owned a mercantile exchange, and he said that you know people are like that storefront. Like, you know what they are. They're male, black, white, you know, female, whatever. You can see that when you meet them. It's what's on your driver's license, your identity. So that's the storefront. You walk in, you do business with that person in front of the counter. But, he said, my grandpa had this few people that he'd bring behind the counter. And those are the people he did business with, right? Those are the people he sold grain to and stuff like that. He didn't let everyone behind the counter, right? Because that would be foolish, but you don't also don't let anyone behind the counter because you wouldn't be in business very long. So I think that's that's kind of like what you're talking about. You see what I'm saying about vulnerabilities, where I'm. I think that a spiritual abuse can happen when someone is commanded to let unsafe people behind their counter. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So they're unsafe. What would they do to you? Uh. Say things like, you know, maybe just keep that quiet. Or you're challenging. I think on one level it was saying you're challenging my belief systems and you're making me uncomfortable, so why don't you just talk about that with somebody else? Because we can't, there's certain questions or you're not allowed to ask here. <laughs> I think was how, I, well, how I'm interpreting it today. Well, I was just at the time going, oh, well. My wife was out. My wife was like, you know what? These people aren't going to understand our story. Mm-hmm. This is just a bunch of fake Christian bullshit. I'm out. And mm-hmm. she was. And she's not been to church or any kind of, we'll call it, Christian community since. Well, I'm at, I'm at my question differently. Um, and it's more an exploration of our own egos. Um, how, how does somebody, if you let, if you just open, just totally vulnerable all the time, Mm-hmm. This is who I am. Everybody's behind the counter. You know, if it's a mercantile, you know, they're going through the cash register and they're <laughs> taking the money out and, and they're, you know, they're taking all the gumballs out of the gumball jar and et cetera, and you're screwed, right? Yeah. But that's not, uh, at that point, a really good analogy of what you're, what, who you are inside. So if you just open up and say, this is who I am to anybody, and, and let anybody in deeply into who you are, how can they do you wrong? What would they do to you? I think I'm learning that now as I get older. Like, I let people in. I post stuff on Facebook that, you know, if I had maybe a different job, I wouldn't because it might threaten the way people see me. Does that make sense? Like, I don't... I'm, I'm out of fucks, I think, today, where I wasn't before. I think it's... They make you. They can say things that make you believe that you're not valuable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's where most of the damage comes from. And as you age, and you start to develop more self comfort in your value, that can diminish as you mature. And that and that other letting people in and them diminishing your value still hurts. I think it's always going to hurt. But it doesn't do the damage that it did, like when you were a teenager. Yeah, right. And I like what you said about let somebody in for the first time, and they just shit all over you. (laughs) That's something I've said to my kids. Like nobody makes you feel anything that you haven't been conditioned to feel before, 
right? Like when someone makes you feel that way, why do well, so you I think what maybe John's getting at is like if you're open and vulnerable, like the way he's describing, no one has any power over you except for the power that you give to them. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I want you guys to say it so I could call bullshit on it. Um, <laughs> um, because, so, so Derek says, says maybe this gets better as you get older. So I'm guessing I'm the oldest one in the room. And um, you guys might be similar in age. I'm 49. I'm 53. Oh, okay. Oh. Um, I'm 40. Well, Steve, <laughs> Steve, Steve would have been older if he had come. Oh, wow. Yeah, there Steve you go. Was, he's in bed. He's got Steve. He's dying. That's what happens when you right. get older. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, um, stomach flu. Throw it to Steve. We love our brother Steve. So suffering um, with things coming up both orifices. <laughs> you see, there you go. Is that TMI? Is that <laughs> see that? the counter? There. Oh, we love it. So that's me with that. I know. I know. So a couple, a couple of examples. Um, recently, I um, I've empathy. I posted a couple things on on Facebook that I later regretted, um, <laughs> and I regretted them because of how a particular group of people. Try to destroy me, oh, wow. and these are people who would I professional. Would, I would con- no, I would consider oh. friends. Oh, okay, um, people who I know from the bike racing community and things like that. And um, I don't know that they knew they were trying to destroy me. I don't think that that was that was intentional. Um, but the, it happened with the same group twice, and um, uh, two different occasions. One, I was trying to get a conversation started about. Um, uh, about um, disenfranchisement of voters in states with primate cities. I know that's a big topic. Um, <laughs> you say primate city? Primate city is a, a city that is more than, well, it's a couple of different definitions. The definition I was taught in uh, geography school, because um, I have a degree in geography, um, uh, is um, a, a city that is twice as large as the next biggest city within the within the state or country. So like Mexico City is a primate city in Mexico. Tokyo is a primate city in Japan. And, okay, gotcha. And Seattle is clearly a primate city in Washington State, sure. whereas Portland I is. I gotcha. And um, anyway, so we're having, and, and so um, I don't want to go into a bunch of detail about what the what the topic was because that's that could be a whole. But podcast. you put out an idea that but, maybe is. But like I put out an idea. Right. I put out an idea that in Washington State sounded like I was defending conservatives. That's oh, what it sounded heck. like. And, that, and 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 oh, I wasn't. I'm really unhappy with disenfranchisement of anybody, including conservatives. Right. Um, and liberals and blacks and Latinos and anybody who is intentionally disenfranchised. And in in this state, if King County wants it, King, the whole state gets it. Yeah. <laughs> That's just the way it is. Yeah. And, and there is clear is data. <laughs> there is clear data. The, the 20 whatever eastern uh, counties east of the Cascades have less population by a significant margin than King County. Right. You know, and together. Uh, yeah. all added up together. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and and so they just went after me about um, all, all sorts of red herring arguments, and I was devastated. Mm. I was really devastated. And then the topic came up again when I made a comment about um, how um, artificial intelligence is going to change our economy in ways that we don't expect, and. 
several people be, basically called me an idiot because I didn't know what I was talking about. In essence, they didn't, and they were actually the people who were wrong. I had data, and they didn't, but that didn't matter. Um, they were fairly intelligent people, but I recognized they didn't know what they were talking about. And then a guy who is a PhD in biorobotics called me an idiot and posted an article. Said he said, "John, you got to stop getting your information from BuzzFeed. Read this article." And I wrote and I, and I wrote back and said, "I don't get my information from BuzzFeed. I've already read that article. Clearly, I am being misunderstood. I am going to not respond anymore." Mm-hmm. And I ended it. But I was really hurt because... It's kind of patronizing. It was very patronizing. And it was from a really smart guy who previously I kind of respected. (laughs) You know, a guy who actually should know the answer I was getting to. He's got a PhD in freaking biorobotics. Yeah. He should know that the that that he he should know better. Not to get in the detail. And I was I was devastated. So I wanted to give that example of when this group beat me up on Facebook mm-hmm. um, and it was this group twice those two things right they and and there was there there was some opinion in what I was saying but there was mostly data in what I was talking about and mostly opinion in what they were talking about and there were people who I thought relied more on uh, rational pragmatism and apparently they relied less on rational pragmatism I thought and I was really hurt so, so, <laughs> and, and these are not people who are really really close friends these are right. people who are a little bit better than acquaintances right Right. so that example and that just it ate me up Right. I think the problem is the and, medium though like the, would, it, would it have gone over different in a conversation so, so the, yeah. other, the other example is my dad okay mm. my dad is a member of Mensa My dad has many advanced degrees, has been very successful in his life. Um, He probably lets everyone know that he was a mentor. No, he doesn't. He doesn't. Um, It's like veganism? Um, Yes, in in CrossFit. No, he actually mostly keeps it to himself. Wow. Um, uh, He, in fact, didn't join Mensa for years and years and years and years. He had qualified, and he told me about it. I was a kid. He told me, yeah, I took this test for this group called Mensa. I said, what's Mensa? He says, you know, it's it's for geniuses. You pass the test, you get a join. And I said, so so you took the test? You remember? He says, no, I decided not to join. And and, and I said, well, why not? And he says, well, the only real reason to join Mensa is to prove to people how smart you are, which seems really stupid. <laughs> I thought, wow, you really are pretty smart. Yeah, that's, that's not only is you smart, you're wise. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A different thing. Emotional then, intelligence. So then later, so then later, he told me he had joined Mensa, and I said, I reminded him of the story you told me when I was a kid, and he said. Yeah, I moved to the southern Oregon coast and couldn't find anybody to talk to. <laughs> so that's that's what happened there. Right. Anyway, so so um, anyway, he's very very smart. And what I learned in my hard wiring as as a as a kid and growing up, um, when you learn how you are valued, is that being really smart is the only thing that's valuable. Mm-hmm. And my dad never makes a big deal about being a member of Mensa, but he does want to make sure everybody knows that he's smart. Right. right. And that's very important to him. And um, it was that's also... Where the ego pops itself. Also seemed to be pretty important to him to... to okay, here, I'm going to be vulnerable. To show, um, to show how I wasn't as smart as him. Oh, yeah. And um, that still seems to be important to him. 
even though I'm 53 and he's 80 something, mm-hmm. um, it still seems to be pretty important to him. And it's kind of like you um, saw where that triggered you. Yeah. You know, and as much as I love my dad, and I want to go visit, and I know that that because he's in his 80s, um, the number of times I'm going to see him before he's not around is, you know, might I might be able to count that on on my hands, on my yeah. fingers, and. Uh, um, uh, I mean, he's healthy and all that. I'm not trying to imply anything. I'm just saying he's in his 80s, right? Yeah. And and so there's that piece, right? But there's the other piece that when I go see him, I feel stupid. Yeah. Mm. And um, so so um, so the point that I'm getting at is um, that there is a fallacy that the psychologists have put out since the 70s at least, maybe the 60s, that you're the only one who can make you feel the way you feel. And that is bullshit. Mm-hmm. You have all sorts of hard wiring inside your head yeah. that you can't do a damn thing about. It's there. You know, it's like that, that professor from UC Berkeley, the neuroscience professor, uh, who talks about, you know, your worldview is... is Ninety-eight percent subconscious. It's all hardwired in the neurology of your brain. It's not a damn thing you can do about that. And you open yourself up to vulnerability, and somebody finds that hardwiring and knows how to get in there. They can destroy you. Yeah. They can physically hurt you without ever touching you. And that sticks and stones will break my bones, and words will never hurt me. Is just a shield. Yeah. And it's interesting. So it. And this is. So I've done a lot of thinking about this topic, and from our religious standpoint and take all you know whatever opinions you have on Jesus whatever the stories that appear in the Bible about Jesus seem to suggest that he had an incredibly intact ego (laughs) in that and that he was so firm in his identity that attacks against it not only seemed to bounce off of them, but it allowed him to go to a spot where he had deep empathy for the person attacking him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is the response of someone that has... And he had no reason to have an intact ego. If you'd like, you know... Um, think of the shit that the kids gave him growing up. Yeah. About, oh, yeah, sure, your mom. Yeah, uh, yeah exactly. Sure, yeah. Your, your dad yeah. is God. Yes, I... I yeah, okay. Aren't you Joseph? That's a great son? one, yeah. <laughs> right, like, like, there was no... From the shit back yeah. town. Can anything like, good come out of Nazareth? Right. So yeah. punk rock. It's just right. so punk rock. Like, and there's no reason for him to have a ta- an intact ego. And for all... And all those stories consistently show... Like blew people away with the intactness of his ego. You know, we could probably say the same thing to the about point Muhammad, of death. I'm Gandhi, right? You know, and nobody's saying he's a deity, right? right. Well, but, that's just that's not. Yeah, I'm just but, saying. But look at, I mean, he he had not a great upbringing and experienced racism in South Africa, and you know, all sorts Apartheid. of reasons why he shouldn't have had an attacked ego. And then he went and completely changed India and. Did it all, you know, barefoot with his legs crossed, and and um, and I'm not, yeah, not necessarily you know, angling towards the idea, that, you know, like this is proof type of thing. No, and I but wasn't going there. I'm just saying an example of yeah. of it's an it is an amazing example. Those stories are what it looks like, yeah. When, and you do meet these people that don't, you know, that aren't fully complete, complete that have their weaknesses. But so, like my grandmother was one of them. So where where she, where. Attacks against her 
manifested incredible empathy in her. That was immediately visible. So and here's, an, rapidly here's an interesting trick, though. I have met people who have such an intact ego that everything bounces off of them and they are assholes. Yeah, that's the other yeah. You know, their ego is so intact that they know they can do no wrong while they're doing lots of wrong. Yeah. And it and it doesn't phase them. ego but no humility. Yeah. And that's and, another whole show. Like, I don't care can be really healthy and really destructive. And, right? and to find the... the the Jesus, the Gandhi, the Mother Teresa, you know, um, Derek's grandmother, you know, <laughs> in, put, put her in the same boat. You know, to find those people, those are the miracle people. Yeah. Well, there's, you know. there's a Buddhist practice of meditation called metta, which is uh, uh, translates to loving kindness. And something that the Buddha taught is this basically cultivating a practice of empathy, of sort of holding people, other people, and yourself with a certain empathy, a certain level of compassion and non-judgment, loving kindness. And so you engage in this meditation exercise where you start with a loved one and then you, and then you can go to yourself. And when I've practiced this myself, like I find that um, I can have that loving kindness, that compassion, that empathy for loved ones or people that are neutral, but it's always hard to turn it inward for yeah, me. There's yeah. that, it's hard to have self-compassion. I'm yeah. working on that. But, but there, it's a practice you can cultivate to actually learn empathy. You can... I, I like to think... That's maybe you talk about, so You're talking is, about getting into a different level of consciousness. Well, what, 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 the question I'm asking, though, is... is um, in, in Buddhism, I, I, I guess, definitely puts forth this idea that you can learn empathy. You, you can practice empathy and grow in empathy mm-hmm. versus something that's hardwired that you're not going to overcome. I, th- yeah. I think that's another one of those things like the, the shit conversation. Mm, yeah. About, like, that's can, what can you get better? Yes. Can you go on a growth path? Yes. Can you get to a growth path where, where you're all better? I don't think so. You'd be like your grandma. Right. Like, <laughs> right. Everyone, everyone's beautifully fucked, fucked up in some weird way. Like, really beautifully, wonderfully. Broken. Broken, yet, you know, twisted, unique. Twisted in a attractive sort exactly. of way. Exactly. It it, it. Yeah, it's like art, you know? Yeah, I had this conversation with a, <laughs> with, a, with a friend of mine who's a bit younger than me and is just starting to engage in some of these ideas and, the, and really wrestling with, like, can I actually change? question like like i like i you know i and you know and it's and and the the irony of the, i'm really trying hard to change which is kind of like well, I, I don't know if trying hard is a solution but 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 the passion and enthusiasm is important in there and i talked about kind of the the dan harris thing 10 mm. percent happier like like yeah you can change but it, but maybe not if you shoot for 100 percent yeah, like maybe yeah. Sh- maybe shoot for ten to twenty five and learn to be content with that. And in that contentness of learning to be content with ten to twenty five, you might get to thirty three. You might get to. And what 40. if you can call that transformation? Right, right. We don't like. It's like we want everything we fixed, want it black now. or white. We want to. We want yeah. to go from the black to the white. And like, well, I want. Maybe you just get three shades lighter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> maybe it's not an app that you download and then it's there and right. It just takes. Not only takes time, but it's. It's painful. Right. And you shed parts of yourself. You know, you shed some of these things that you thought were safe. That's another thing about consciousness. And I've had a lot of conversations with Christians, especially when it comes to, like you were talking about with the shit analogy, when it comes to, like, recovery and people who are recovering from something that's life-altering and and messing with their life. um, 
one thing my friend Seth Taylor said this, and and I, I so agree with it, is like if you think that you're going to come out of this with the same belief structures, think again. Because I think that people will protect their belief structures while their consciousness is starting to expand. And it's almost like you can't put that toothpaste back in the well, tube. It's a famous porn problem. Like, I want to be exactly the way I am now and not look at porn. So if you can just <laughs> surgically remove exactly. the yeah. bad part of me yeah. and then the rest of it remains completely unchanged, I'll just walk out and then we'll be happy, right? Yeah. Like, yeah or even alcoholism. Gonna... Like, there's some people that you you drink because it's it's how you cope. Right. And for you to cope differently means that you're going to have to challenge those old belief systems. Right. So just that's where I get, I, I go at some of the recovery crowd is that, you know what, just stopping the, because quitting the sauce is, is sells. You know, like there's a bunch of people like, hey, we'll get you off alcohol, right? Like we can do this, shik shadle. And, and great for them because that keeps people from dying. But... There's always something waiting for you in the wings if you don't deal with that extra level of consciousness. If you What's don't underneath it? push through, yeah, exactly. If you don't push through those belief systems that have held you to the place where you're dependent right. chemically on something, you know. So yeah, there's a there really is a reason you're doing the destructive behavior you're doing, um, and it's not the demons, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although they're metaphorical demons, and maybe they need to be dealt with, right? I. I I love Nikki Six. Uh, he was a heroin addict. He was a, in the band Motley Crue. And he had a great line where he said, For years I was fighting with my demons in this tug of war battle with my demons. And he goes, At some point I just let go of the rope. <laughs> and that's so true. Like, and that's that struggle with those belief systems, right? Like these, their belief systems, they come concrete and solid. And no, just let it go. Just let go of the rope and then see what happens. Set your demons free. Instead of trying to, I don't know, kill them or corral them or whatever people do with demons, I'm speaking metaphorically. Well, and <laughs> and you know, I thought you were possessed. That was <laughs> do um, get the pope in here. <laughs> do do those things in some way naturally subside or lose their power if you just stop struggling with them? Yeah, and I think it's that's where that's where Seth, I think. His, his book was really good. Is he kind of posed that challenge and that question? Yeah, and to an evangelical culture, and and who's who's listening now? Yeah. Well, I don't know. If Ten years ago, I would have listened. No, well, because they realize that what they've tried doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> <Long -told. laughs> They're crying uncle. Like oh shit. It's like it's, like non-striving. Yeah. It's the cat playing with the mouse thing. Mm -hmm. The mouse just okay. I give up. The cat says, "Well, this isn't much fun anymore." Yeah, exactly. like like your buddy, the the twenty something you mentioned. You know, what about not trying to be right. better? Right. <laughs> like, don't try to change. Just just relax into that. You don't have to do it, and that's that's the other fallacy, right? It is you don't have to relax into it forever, eternally. But why don't we try that? Like non-striving. Like, yeah, give it a shot for a little bit and see see what just non-striving because because. What's the functional difference between where you are now and not not striving, right? You're doing the exact same thing. It can't get any it worse. It can't get any worse. <laughs> you're still you're drinking yourself to sleep every night now. If you stop trying to, to not, not do that, is it going to change anything? Yeah. And, and and it may not work, but it may loosen something. something. Yeah. And, and at least you get to take a step back yeah. and reassess. And you know that's that's what you have to do sometimes when you're fighting really hard. Is just like wait a minute. Like, is there is there actually a different way around this? And am I so caught up in the fight that I can't see? I don't have perspective anymore. So I'm just going to 
let it go, lose this battle, take a step back, and say, huh, yeah, that I what I've been trying for 36 years obviously isn't working because I've been doing it for 36 years and I, things just keep getting worse. Yeah. Maybe we should try something different. Yeah. That was kind of like me with a porn habit. And I said that where when I, when I quit working at it or quit trying, it got worse. But I think I should preface that to I was doing it all myself. So I wasn't telling anybody that I had this struggle. So when I <coughs> internalized the fact that I was losing the battle and quit, I was still dealing with all these feelings and, and all internally without sharing it with anyone else, which wasn't healthy and made it worse. So it's not that, that, that I quit made it worse. It was the not sharing with safe people and being known about these issues that were controlling me and I wasn't controlling them. That made it worse. When you go back, sense? when you go back to that time, why didn't you open up more? What what held you back from? Oh, my wife would divorce me. Oh, okay. You the know, fear and the, the fear. What, what people think of me? I'm the only one that struggles gotcha. with this kind of thing, right? Yes, you're like, the only exactly. guy that jerks off to porn. <laughs> exactly. That was me back then. Honestly, you know. <laughs> So yeah, often, because that's what shame tells you. Because you're surrounded by people who are all fucking asleep and not talking about this shit. So all trying to put their best face forward and showing up with their church face. And anyway, what would, what would uh, honestly, the idea that I should be vulnerable with someone doesn't even occur to many people. Like, yeah. like, like that's yeah. Like it doesn't even that's not a, path, a thought that even passes through their minds. Like that's just not. Like, why? Why would I do that? That's, like, I, you know, they're probably thinking of things in the past, but I've tried that. Yeah, there's layers that, to that. That sure didn't work out. Yeah. Like, like, like in, in terms of the options that they're pursuing to try and fix themselves, being vulnerable in a relationship is not at the top of many people's lists. And that's why yeah. you have to have trust. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you have to have both. Right. Yeah. So if, if you don't have vulnerability in a... You know, for instance, a marital relationship, right. it's it will fail. Right. But if the reason you don't have vulnerability is you don't have trust, clearly <laughs> it's like going to fail. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's just you got to have both of those things together. And if one person says, "Okay, I'm going to open up and I'm going to be vulnerable," and the other person rips them apart, yeah, it's like, "Oh, look, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah." What well, was the line in the um, in the? Um, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Cohen. He died recently. Who? Uh, Leonard. Oh, Leonard, Leonard Cohen. Cohen. Hallelujah. Everything has a crack in it. That's yeah, how the light gets in. Yeah, and in Hallelujah. The, uh, uh, oh, that's uh, such a good song. I, the only thing I learned from love is um, uh, is somebody outdrew you or something like that. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I'm opening up. I'm being vulnerable, and you shot me. Right. <laughs> you know. Well, and the unfortunate thing about that is. Crushing other people's vulnerability usually feels like a favor when you're doing it. Because speaking from someone that's been a bully and, and been bullied, um, this took me a long time to learn. Um, I, was, I was the kid that just that did what John said, just opened up instantly. Blah, 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 here's who I am. Here's all my ugliness. Here's, you know, it just didn't even occur to me that that wasn't appropriate. <laughs> and boy, did I get crushed hard. Yeah. And then I saw the same thing in my siblings, and I crushed it for them and 
for me, it felt like an act of love. Yeah. Like I was teaching. Let me show you how the oh, fucking world works. Right, exactly. <laughs> like, I bully you. Oh, but it wasn't even. It wasn't even angry. It was genuinely like, "Hey, don't do that." But I don't know how to say "don't do that." All I know how to do is punch you in the shoulder, or make fun of you, right? Because that's that's all that's been done to me. Like that's that's how it was communicated to me. And that I think happens in marriages a lot. Is one person opens up and the other person says, like, oh, I've been there before. Don't do that. And to get you to not do that, to save you, I'm going to abuse you a little bit. So it's a podcast. You can't see that. I just bounced my forehead <laughs> off the table. And what I was thinking while I was bouncing my forehead off the table. There's a video is, feed for is, uh, premium subscribers. Yeah, maybe. right. <laughs> what I was thinking is, God, humans are fucked yeah, up. Are. That's what I was yeah. thinking. Because you're right, you know. I mean, um... My, my wife and I were just having this conversation uh, uh, a week or two ago about um, how our relationship works and how different it is from what she knew. <laughs> and, you know, what she knew when she met me is the way you tell somebody you love them is you punch them in the face. Right. You know? I mean... <laughs> At least came, I'm paying enough attention to you. To, yeah. to the yeah, moon, Alice. To the moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, she came from a... She came from a an abusive family with a, a bunch of abusive siblings, and that's what you did. Yeah, it's very similar upbringing for me. Like that's just like the the tall blade of our grass gets the blade, like or gets yeah. the mower. That the, right. the tall nail gets the hammer. Right. Like you put yourself out there, you're gonna get popped. And it wasn't just my family; it was the culture I grew up in. Right. Uh, right. And and that was. Just what you Well, did. yeah, and, and not to be picking on my wife's family. It was a culture that she grew up in. Right. right. Yeah. You know, and, and some of it was a sign of the time, some of it's where they were from, etc. But. Um, yeah, you show anything vulnerable, and we're going to. You know, yeah, but. I, right now. Uh, you know, I mean, I had a similar problem. As I was saying my, my dad wanted to make me feel dumb by right. comparison, right? It was a similar kind of thing. Right. And. And so you're explaining your thing, and I'm going, oh, God, it's so complicated, you know? I mean, no, all it is, all you need is love. Just open up. Just bam! Oh, man. Right right between the eyes. So maybe we need to cultivate. That's maybe that word comes up in my mind is cultivating friendships. So if you're going to have healthy friendships, you need maybe a wider... Well, it can't be dualistic. It's got to be nuanced. You can't just jump in and bare your soul. You can't... can't to expect to be in a relationship and not contribute any vulnerability either. And, and <laughs> finding that eternal balance of, oh, I shared too much. Or, oh, man, like maybe maybe I could have been a little bit more vulnerable there. Is You're never going to get the balance right. Well, it's having friendships with safe people. You mean right. safe people. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Different with everybody. I mean, like, you like, need to meet a lot of people. People have said something to or me that, than, they, than they thought was too much. Oh, overshare. Sorry. Okay. You know, and I said, no, it's fine. I'm okay. Mm-hmm. You know, because... Because, I mean, I guess that's part of it is, okay, so, I mean, that's another piece, right, is that um, you can know how to be vulnerable, but I may not know how to accept your vulnerability. Oh, there you go, yeah. Whole different yeah. And that's not just the trust. That's not just the trust. That's, you just open up to me and you just scared the living shit out of me. Right. I, 
oh my God, I am going to close that right back down because right. you scared me. Right. You know, and that's when somebody will share and, they, and then, oh, oh the whole sorry. Room goes quiet. Over, and oh, yeah, overshare. Yeah. Sorry, right. overshare. Right. And when they say that, that's them closing back yes. down. It's and then the, we all feel better. Like, ooh, I made it well, weird. It's a classic. <laughs> it's a classic. Here's on the table and then I'm pulling it back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I go, the, the, the flash, right? Like I'm going to flash it and I'm going to pull it back down. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, but it's a test. Right? right? It is. That yes. is a test. Overshare, did they freak out? Oh, this person didn't freak out. Right. This person might be maybe kind safe. of safe, right. maybe. Mm-hmm. I remember my buddy telling this story about his, uh, I don't know if it was junior high or high school, but they had a, like a health class and they talk about masturbation in the health class. And later on at recess at lunch, you know, all the kids, oh, yeah, you know, you fag, you jerk off, da da da, you know, like, what's he talking about, you know? And this one kid was bold enough to say, hey, guys, come on, you know, we all do it. And they all turned on that kid and shamed him, like, what do you oh, mean wow. we all do it? <laughs> what? What are you talking about? He's like, yeah, you know what the irony was, is we all do it. <laughs> 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 like, you shame that kid for, for saying something. Yeah, yeah. Honest. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. it's a taboo. It, that's a taboo. You can't put those out there. Yeah. Uh, who's going to land the plane tonight? Well, I wanted to say that a lot of this John, really hit home in the plane. I don't know if this is Lenny, it could be, but do it. it really hit home for me this week with with the conversation, Arthur and I learned that um, a guy we used to go to church with uh, committed suicide. 40-year-old guy, beautiful wife, loving wife. From I don't know him really well, but when they moved across the state several years ago. We kept in touch online or whatever. And uh, you know, by all external appearances, had a lot going for him. Extremely, extremely talented woodworker. I mean, this guy was really good. And his wife seemed cool. His kids are beautiful. And it's like... You know, the the thought comes to mind of, um, I mean, whenever something like that tragic happens and when you're fairly removed from it, there's a lot of projection that comes with it. You know, you kind of put yourself in that story, especially because, I mean, he and I have the same initials, we're the same age, our kids are the same age. You know, it's like, you, start, you ask all those why questions and it's like, you know, God, man, did you have anyone safe you could have talked to, or, or was there something? Or did did you not feel safe reaching out? And all those questions come up, and I don't know what the answers to those questions are. I mean, I really don't know. I really don't know. But it definitely prompts those kinds of questions. Of do some people just not have close, safe relationships where they can bear their soul and just. I'm really struggling with this, or these are really the thoughts I'm having, or this is really, really where I'm at, and it's fucking scary, and it's dark. And I first started doing it in recovery groups because I was suicidal. Yeah. And when I first started burying my soul in, you know, kind of the anonymous sort of way, it felt like bloodletting to a certain degree, you know? Like kind I was letting... Cathartic? Some, like letting yeah, like I was letting poison. some poison out of my veins, and then it got out on Training a table costs. and... Mm. <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> someone down the wrong too. You got the clint. <laughs> Russ, was about, Russ was about to land the plane. <laughs> he crashed it again. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, the smoke went down the I wrong too. As we close, it's just a you know whoever is listening to this, um, you know, do a self analysis and think about the close relationships that you do have, and if you just don't have that many, reach out. And try and, and, you know, and don't do it, don't, you know, do it slowly because you're going to get hurt if you do it too quick with a person that's not safe. But, but, but make an effort uh, if you're in a spot in your life where you just don't have that person 
that you can reach out to and really just bear all your ugliness to and have that person not freak out. Uh, it's incredibly important yeah. to have in your life and uh, and and yeah, it's something that should be pursued. Yeah, definitely. And I I would say no planes landed. Where, <laughs> where I. I, I where I just found one guy like that was was <laughs> boom. Anyway, where I where I found one guy like that was one thing that was valuable. But then to have six, you know, was was even wow. Like there's there's enough of this out there that people are thirsty of it. You get into that depression thing, and um, there are a lot of lonely people out there. Yeah, yeah that's really. a lot of lonely. People. I mean, I mean. Um, uh, Suicide spike when kids move out. Suicide spike when people retire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was just uh, reading in Psychology Today. It's a, it's a thing with middle-aged men right now. It's a trend. Good God, why? Men in their forties committing suicide. Jesus, forties and fifties. Yeah. Like like what, like while I say that, reasons. like like part of me okay. kind of gets it a little oh. bit because life's hard. Yeah. <laughs> but well, it, 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 I feel like when I was younger, I used to judge it. You know, like man, you selfish prick. You got kids. What are you doing? But now it's like like now I'm there. It's like, oh yeah, life's hard. I'm not saying like I, I I'm like you know excusing it, but I'm saying like like I have more empathy for it than I think I did. In the world of Chris Rock, I wouldn't have done it. But I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so why would suicide rise for middle-aged men? The, my, my theory. Um, the world is changing faster and faster and faster on an exponential curve. And um, there used to be um, significantly increased value to workers who had been doing the same thing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, because we had lots of experience. And we knew the answers. Um, there is no measurable reason to hire anybody over 40 anymore. <laughs> I mean, you laugh, yeah. but there isn't. No, I get it. There just isn't. And um, it is um, the, 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 the biggest reason when you have uh, <coughs> failure, for instance, in socialism is when people feel um, undervalued, where there have been, for instance, Indian tribes that um, have... Revenue from an outside source, so everybody in the tribe gets a check and doesn't have to do anything. There's sure, a few tribes that have done that. You have spike suicide and spike drug use. We have to be useful. Right. If you yeah. get kids, you ever read Thomas the Tank Engine? Mm. Thomas Tank Engine. Thomas needs to be a useful little engine. Right. And all of us need to be useful in society. And when we're not useful in society, suicides spike. And, okay, and back on, we talk about UBI. <laughs> unfortunately, I think so many of those men in that generation have narrowed it to I need to be useful at my workplace. Yep. And that there's other ways they could be useful, yep. but those don't count to them. Right. That the, the cultural necessity of being useful in their workplace is so front and center. That that the idea of being useful in some other aspect of life doesn't yeah. doesn't doesn't live up isn't good enough. That's well, one of my theories with addiction as well. It's treating. So, I think that there's you know uh, Laszlo's hierarchy of needs. He had five mm-hmm. needs. I think there's Maslow. actually seven. Maslow. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> so I get these names mixed up. It's okay. But so from five to seven, I think there's actually seven, and I think that it's not just that you're. Because he would say one of the needs is that you're useful, like you were saying, Thomas the Tank Engine. 
But I think that it's not just that, but I think there's an artfulness to us, a creative part to us. Mm -hmm. And there's also a part of us that just moves heavy shit from one place to the other. And I think you need both, where you see people like, like Chris Cornell, very artistic, very creative. Was he serving in a place where it was just like moving rocks or something like that? I heard a guy who was an author, a very accomplished author, and he said... He said, I wish I would have drove a taxi, which is interesting because kind of what I do. But he said, what if I just drove a taxi? I think I would be more happier than being an intellectual who wrote books my whole life. And there was a part of me that was missing because I didn't do something just simple, bonehead, There is something daily, to that for sure in that. Grind. Because yeah. especially, you know, as you do get into the, the more intellectual fields, the you're an intellectual, so you start to think, like, is any of this doing any fucking good? Yeah. Like, am I just moving words around on a piece of paper? Yeah. Like, like, what the fuck am I doing? I so relate to yeah. that professionally. Yeah. I was at Home Depot the other day. Like, I wish that I could get paid what I get paid working at Home Depot because it would just be less stress. and cause You could actually help people on a daily basis and do you, things. You need this screw for your wall. And that's yeah. kind of the best part of my job is I get... To build stuff, and at the end of the day, I okay. If six hours of this was total bullshit, two hours I did something, and that's incredibly valuable. Uh, and I don't get paid as much doing that, but the value I get out of being able to say that's in the ground because I said it was supposed to be in the ground. Yeah. But if you go, crazy. if you go back to the middle age suicide. Um, these solutions. I mean, what what I'm hearing posed are solutions, but it takes cultural shift to make that happen. Huge cultural shifts. You know, and the UBI and especially. Is we are nowhere. The UBI, universal, universal basic, basic income. income. Yeah. Well, it's basically, right, 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 right. It's, it's, it's yeah. a whole other show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think no, the I shift. Is, I think the shift is hitting the fan. <laughs> that's, that's my. That's my well, hopeful it, theory. It is. That's, that's the probably why we're seeing why, why we're seeing spikes in suicides for middle-aged men. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think I, a lot I, of I would imagine it's true. I mean, a lot of why we so, wanted to do this is to broadcast a signal of these are some friends getting together, talking honestly and vulnerably, and to kind of transmit that signal of you know. We're doing this. We're safe with each other. We'd like to be safe for other people, and it, it can't happen. It's not easy, but yeah. it is there. And um, take yeah. some cultivation and some time. And right, yeah, we just kind of threw this thing together. But this is actually relationships that have been cultivated for years. Right, <laughs> you know, where we could talk like this in a group. It's, it's interesting. Well, thanks for bringing me in. Yeah, yeah thanks, man. John. Thanks for being here. You bet. All right, and we're out. And you finish this episode of Punk Theology, episode 22, the Friends episode. All the music, again, on the podcast is on the Spotify playlist, uh, Punk Theology, if you search that out. But that one song, that uh, guitar cover of the Friends from the TV show, that is not on Spotify. That is done by a private dude on YouTube named Nathan Fraze. So F-R-A-A-S is his uh, his last name. And subscribe to his channel. Check it out. Uh, some good. That's a really cool little punk cover uh, of the Friends theme right there. So I wanted to give Nathan Fraze a shout-out on this podcast. And also remember... Punk Theology is the property of Digital Audio Project LLC, who's responsible for its content. My name is Russ Shaw. Until next time, bye.